Peacemaking is not the avoiding of conflict. It is not sort of burying your head in the sand like the ostrich and just pretending that everything's okay and just hoping that things will change. It is not anything for a quiet life. That's not what peacemaking is. In fact, a conflict avoided can often be a conflict postponed and therefore a conflict that ultimately becomes worse. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, last time we began to take a look of what it meant to be a peacemaker. Today, we're going to be very practical about this. Yes, Jesus gives us this wonderful blessing. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. But we're at the how question. We've looked at what that means. The question now is how. The Bible is a wonderfully practical book. It gives us not only the objectives, mm -hmm. but it gets us down to the tactics of how to actually get there. And we're going to look from the Scripture at 10 tactics for pursuing peace. So if you've got a situation of conflict that you're facing right now, and you say, now, how am I to go about being a peacemaker? Uh, we're going to see... 10 ways from the Bible of going about this. And the Bible's very clear because it's not just speaking in theory. It's calling us to a Christ-like pattern of behavior and living. So let's go straight away to today's message. Here's Pastor Colin with Cultivating Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, says our Lord Jesus, for they shall be called the sons of God. We began last week to look at this and to see that in a world of conflict, God calls us, his children, to reflect his glory by being agents of peace. And we asked the question, since God is, is the great peacemaker, how did he go about making peace? We're being told that we will be blessed if we are peacemakers because we'll be called sons of God. And obviously that speaks of some reflection, uh, likeness to God being seen in those who are by faith his children. And so what does that actually mean? What does God's way of making peace actually look like? And we ended last time with these three broad observations that are drawn directly from how God makes peace. And we saw uh, first that peacemakers who reflect the glory of God do not stand on their rights, that being prepared to give up your rights is really foundational to all effective peacemaking. Christ was in the form of God, and it was his right to enjoy an unbroken, uninterrupted, heavenly joy for all eternity. But he gave up that right. And why did he do that? He came into the world. And why did he do that? In order to make peace. You cannot make peace by standing on your rights. It just doesn't happen. It's impossible. And uh, we saw last time, if God had stood on his rights, I would be in hell and so would everyone else. And we have to remember that. Peacemakers reflecting the image of God, be prepared to give up your rights. Then second, we saw that true peacemakers move towards the trouble. And I don't know if you're like me at all, but just my natural instinct is always where there's trouble. My instinct is I want to withdraw from it, and you may feel that that's in your nature as well. But peace can never be made by moving backwards away from a problem. And, and when the world is in rebellion against God, what does God do? He moves towards the problem. And this is because he is intent on making peace. 
And of course, uh, that is never easy, and it led Jesus to the cross itself. It might lead to great agonies for you to move towards the trouble. And uh, then we saw thirdly that uh, to be a peacemaker, reflecting how God does this, involves loving before we are loved in return. If God, think about this, had waited for you or for me to love Him before He loved us, there would never have been peace. There would just have been an eternal standoff. So, thank God that He makes the first move. He is the great peacemaker, and we are able to say tonight, well, now we love Him because He first loved us. Now, what we've looked at then so far may be described as broad strategies for making peace, the kind of person who can make peace. What we're doing today is we try and push further in regards to application and get down to a practical level is really to ask the question, now, what can I do then that will promote peace? What does peacemaking look like in practice? And so today, if you like, we're trying to move from broad strategies to uh, practical down-to-earth tactics. What are the things that you can actually do in the pursuit of peace? And I want then uh, simply today to offer to you 10 tactics for peacemakers. 10 tactics for peacemakers. Number one, recognize where there is a problem. And I'll give you direct scripture for all of these. And I've been reflecting here on Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14, where God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah about prophets and about priests who tell people that everything's just fine when it's not. And God says this, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. In other words, there were in those days of Jeremiah, as there are today, people who made a living out of telling folks that everything is well. In other words, telling people what they wanted to hear. They say, peace, peace, all is well, there's not a problem, when there is no peace. And so what happens, God says, is that the wounds of the people, which are very real and very deep, are actually dressed lightly. We might say it's rather like putting a sticking plaster over a septic wound. And everyone knows that that can only make the problem worse. And so this is very important for us to grasp. Peacemaking is not the avoiding of conflict. Very important to understand that. It it is not sort of burying your head in the sand like the ostrich and just pretending that everything's okay and just hoping that things will change. It is not anything for a quiet life. That's not what peacemaking is. In fact, a conflict avoided can often be a conflict postponed and therefore a conflict that ultimately becomes worse. Kent Hughes says this. Listen up, guys. This, he says, is particularly a male tendency. Even in our most intimate relationships, so he's talking about marriage here, men tend to act as if everything is okay when it is not. Men often avoid reality because they want peace, but their avoidance heals the wound only slightly and prepares the way for greater trouble. So, this honesty 
that will admit to a problem where there is one is really the first thing that's absolutely crucial if there's going to be any real peacemaking that takes place at all. We can't make any progress so long as we're living in the world of saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And think about it, when God is making peace with a person, what does He do? Well, He begins by wakening that person up to the fact that there's a problem in their relationship with Him. Didn't God do that with you? You suddenly saw there's something that I need to do in order to be right with God, and that was the beginning of some change. And that was the work of God's Spirit within you. So, the first step to making peace is admitting that there is a problem, and there may be a place where you today would say, I need to get honest and real about what's going on here. Number one, recognize where there's a problem. Number two, deal with conflict early. Deal with conflict early. Want to be a peacemaker? Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 14. Here's a vivid picture. The beginning of strife. Now, notice the beginning of strife. What's it like? It's like letting out water. What a picture that is. So, quit, says the writer to the Proverbs, of the Proverbs before the quarrel breaks out. And reflecting on that, my mind goes back to a number of years when, as a boy growing up in Scotland, I'm at a summer camp, a bunch of other kids out in the countryside, beautiful little stream that's coming down a hillside, and uh, we're gathering rocks in order to dam up the stream so that we can create a pool that is going to be deep enough to swim in. And you know what that's like, and you gather the rocks, and you get them in place, and you get all kinds of other stuff to try and build this dam, and eventually uh, you manage to stop the flow of water, and you begin to get a build-up. You think, hey, we're going to get a swim, we're going to get a splash around here, it's going to be marvelous. And then you notice there's a little trickle that's just going through your dam. And if you don't deal with it, what happens? The trickle becomes a cascade, and before you know where you are, the accumulative weight of water is moving even the larger rocks that you put in place, and all your work is in vain. Now, that's the picture here. The beginning of strife, it's like that first little trickle of water, and if you don't deal with it, it'll ruin everything you've been working on. Now, you think about any broken marriage in any relationship that has ended in acrimony. There was a moment when the strife began, and the two folks involved may not even have noticed it, but there was some moment where it began, the beginning of strife. The first harsh word, the first wound, the first moment of distrust, you maybe didn't see it at the time. It didn't seem like it was much, not really worth making a big deal about, not worth bothering about, but the end was in the beginning. And you look back and you say, now, if I could go back to what happened then, and, and if something could have been different then, then perhaps we might be in a different situation now. But of course, you know, you can't go back, and we can only live our lives going forward. So, what do we learn from this? 
Here's what we learn. Deal with conflict early. The beginning of strife. The first evidence of it. What's it like? Is it a little thing that you turn a blind eye to? No, it's not. It's like letting out water. So, says the writer of the Proverbs, quit before the quarrel breaks. Don't let the small thing fester in your marriage. Don't let it take root. Because if you do, it will grow, and then you will wish that you had addressed it sooner. Well, we've looked at two tactics, and we'll get to the third one in just a moment. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Cultivating Peace. And if you ever miss a broadcast or would like to hear it again, just go and listen online at openthebible.org.uk. I want to tell you about some new things happening at Open the Bible. They've been making a number of changes to the website, openthebible.org.uk. And one of those things is making it easier for you to support the ministry. And when you do that, they're pleased to offer you a free copy of Pastor Colin's new book, Six Hours That Changed the World. In this book, Pastor Colin gives a clear, biblical and compelling presentation of the gospel message that you could use to share with someone this Easter. They'll send you a free copy when you go to the website to set up a regular donation of at least £5 a month. Find out more about receiving Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World, when you go to openthebible.org.uk. Now let's hear more from today's message. Here again is Pastor Colin. Tactic number three, practice restraint, especially with your tongue. Isn't this the most obvious? You think that's got to get in there somewhere. And of course, the Scripture speaks about this so many times. I'm thinking of James chapter 1 and verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's a characteristic of peacemakers. Peacemakers practice restraint. At times when you could unload if you are a peacemaker, you will, you will hold back. This is surely one of the most obvious tactics, and it is surely one of the most important. Now, think about this with me. What are the leading idols of our culture? I want to suggest to you that one that will make the list is that self-expression is a leading idol of our culture. You know, folks say, I have to say what I think. I have to say what I feel. And, and sometimes when you get that, I have to say what I think, an answer sometimes to that that would be appropriate is, really? Do you really have to? What would happen if you didn't? Would you melt into the floor? Spontaneous human combustion? What would happen if you didn't? If you want to be a peacemaker, learn to practice restraint at every level. Even in honest confrontation, which is very important as a part of peacemaking. 
you don't need to unload everything. And if you're a peacemaker, you won't. This is where a lot of peacemaking runs to the ground, that people feel they need to, to unload absolutely everything. It's all been building up for so long, and so it's completely uncontrolled. Think about this. If God unloaded at one time every offense that you have ever committed or I have ever committed against him, and he caused us to see it all at one time, you and I would be completely devastated and we would never recover. So he doesn't do that. What does he do? He reveals to us our sins and our failings by the gentleness of his Holy Spirit, gradually, progressively, increasingly, over a lifetime. And if he dumped it all on you all at once, you'd never recover, would you? So why would you ever think that you would want to do that on someone else when God is so patient to you? Practice restraint, especially in regard to the tongue. The fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. And as I've just reflected on my own life in the light of this Scripture, as anyone who preaches must always do, I have this reflection that very, very, very rarely I can hardly think of a situation where I have really regretted remaining silent. I can think of one or two, but really not many. I can hardly think of situations where I've regretted staying silent. But I can easily think of many more where I've had reason to regret something I said. Peacemakers, Exercise restraint, especially with regards to the tongue. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Number four, prepare if you are serious about peacemaking for a long journey. Prepare for a long journey. Now, it will not always be like this. Sometimes there is uh, simply a need to recognize a problem and for there to be forgiveness, and, and quickly things are settled. And if you deal with things early, that should be how it normally is. But if perhaps you are called to be part of, of peacemaking in a situation where division runs very, very deep, then prepare for a long journey. And I take that directly from the Scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. Peter's quoting from the Psalms, so it's both Old and New Testament. He says this, seek peace and pursue it. Now, think about these words. The word seek means that sometimes peace will not be easy to find. Otherwise, why would he say seek it? Seek it. Sometimes peace will not be easy to find. And why does he say pursue it? Because sometimes peace will be a long way away. It will be a long journey. And you need to go after it. And you need to stay on that journey. This reminds us, seek peace and pursue it, that peacemaking is a process, not an event. Where there are deep wounds, the path to peace may not be quick. It may not be easy. If you want to be a peacemaker, then you've got to be prepared for a long journey. Did you notice that in um, the reading today, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, God speaks about making peace with those who are far off, Ephesians 2.13. Think about the length of the journey 
that it took for God to make peace with you. How long was that journey? Think about it. Where did the problem begin? When did you become alienated from God and at enmity with Him? How far back does that go? I mean, was it the first time you did something wrong? You know, you slapped your little sister in the pram or whatever. That, is that where you got alienated from God? No, of course not. The problem goes further back than that. People all the time are speaking about, and sometimes with some very, very good reasons, about my problems go back to my parents. Well, that may be true, but it doesn't go far enough. The Bible goes further. It says the real root of all your problems doesn't lie one generation back, but all the way back to the beginning. The alienation from God that you are, are born into and born with, and the enmity and the struggle towards God that you experience in your own life, where does that come from? It goes all the way back to your first parents who sinned in the Garden of Eden and then got themselves thrown out of there and then passed on that impulse to sin that you were born with. You were born into a world that is hostile to God, and that hostility was actually in you by nature. That alienation was the condition in which you were born. It's, it's your DNA, if I can put it that way, until God makes you a new creation. And that process of God making peace and reconciling you to Himself. That was a long journey. It goes back to the beginning of time. It took all the promises of the Old Testament, all the work of redeeming Israel, all the ministry of sending the prophets, it took the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven for you to have peace with God. It took His perfect life, 33 years of fulfilling perfect obedience on your behalf. It took all of His atoning death as He bore your sins, making Himself the sacrifice on the cross. It took His rising from the dead. It took His ascending to the right hand of the Father. And even then it was not done because it took the sending of the Holy Spirit to awaken you to your need of Christ and to cause you to be born again and to apply into your life the cleansing power and effect of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and to move you from a position of condemnation to a place where you knew the blessing of new life in Jesus Christ as an adopted son or daughter of God. That is a long journey, isn't it? That is an amazing journey. That is God being relentless over centuries in seeking and pursuing peace with you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And one of the ways in which peacemakers are like him is that they are prepared for a long journey. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Cultivating Peace. And we've begun to look at 10 tactics for peacemakers. We've made it through the first four and next time we'll look at the next six. So I hope you'll join us for that. If you ever miss a program, just go and listen online. 
The website is openthebible.org.uk. Again, that's openthebible.org.uk. This program is a listener-supported broadcast, and Open the Bible is able to come to you each day because of your generosity. And this month, they have something new and exciting to offer. They're making a number of changes to the website, including making it easier to give. You can visit the website at openthebible.org.uk. And as a token of appreciation for your financial support, they have a special gift for you. Pastor Colin's latest book, Six Hours That Changed the World. And Colin, who is this book written for? Well, the book is all about what happened during the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus spoke seven times during these six hours, and each time we learn more about what Jesus was doing while he was there. I mean, he was praying, he was opening up heaven, he was carrying our sins, and most of all, he was pouring out his great and everlasting love for each one of us. Now, I think... Christians are well aware of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. But you will know someone who does not yet grasp the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for them. So this gift book is especially for him or for her. And if you're looking for a clear, biblical and compelling presentation of the gospel to give to someone in your life this Easter, I hope you'll get hold of a copy of Six Hours That Changed the World and give that to him or to her. Well, they're excited to be able to offer Pastor Colin's latest book, Six Hours That Changed the World, in appreciation for your support. For setting up your regular donation of at least £5 a month, they're happy to send you a free copy of the book as a special thank you gift. Learn more when you go to the website, openthebible.org.uk. Again, that's openthebible.org.uk. It is a terrible thing to be wronged, to be slighted, to be treated unfairly, to be passed over, to be taken for granted, to have evil returned for good that you have done, to have given yourself and to have received wounds in return. Friend, Jesus knows all about that. So why is that important for you and me today? Find out when you join us next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible.